0: morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? It's good to see you here. Quick poll this morning. Like the cold weather? Don't like the cold weather? Okay, I'm getting both thumbs up and thumbs down there. So, But I'm glad you made it out, even though it is a little bit more chilly this morning. And we are excited that you're here. Once again, if you're our guest, if you're new to NCC, or if you're watching this later this week online and you're joining us for the first time, we just want to say welcome. And we're glad that you're with us this morning. And We're in our third week of this series called I Love My Church. And so we've been spending the past few weeks and we're just talking about this idea of who God wants the church to be and what God has dreamed for the church. And so we started the very first week saying that, that Jesus loves the church and that we are the church. So the church is not a building. It's not brick. It's um, not this place. It's not this location. It's not even a time of the week. So the church isn't just Sunday mornings, you know, at 9.30 and 11.15. But we are the church. And Jesus gave his life for the church. He loves us and he loves each and every one of us. And so that's where we started week one. And so I want you to just turn to the person next to you and say, You are the church. And if they're not a stranger and if it's not weird, say, I love my church. <laughs> and that's what we believe that Jesus loves the church and he's passionate about each and every one of us. Just stop and take that in this morning that when Jesus talks about his dreams for the church, what he desires for the church, he's talking about you. He's talking about you as the church going into your workplace, students going into your school, going into your neighborhood where God has placed you, In that you're a representation of Christ. You're the church going into each of these areas, and Jesus is passionate about each and every one of us. He loves us. And so last week, we continued that conversation with saying, hey, if we realize we're the church, then how should we live? What does that mean for us? What should the church be doing? How should we be living as a church? And so we talked about, hey, if you love something, you share it. And so we as the church, we should take the love of Christ. uh, Man, we're in love with Jesus, and so we should take that into our workplace. What God is doing with us we're not keeping that to ourselves. It's not just a personal thing, but we're sharing that with those around us. And we love the other people that God has placed around our lives. And so we're sharing what's happening in others' lives. We're sharing what's taking place in the people that we're connected with here in this local church with other people around us. And so because we love it, we're sharing that with others. And so today we wanna to talk about this idea. I love my church because we change the world. I love my church because we change The world. And so we want to look at this idea, how has God called us as the church to change the world? And what does this look like? And so I want to focus in on one aspect of changing the world, and that's on us being a generous church. Now, before you start to panic, we've already taken the offering, okay? So this is not an offering message. This is not about you giving here locally to the church. That's a part of our spiritual growth. But I want us to look at, even apart from our finances, what are ways, just apart from money, that God has called us to be generous and give, to help other individuals, to make an impact on the lives of others that God has placed around us? What does that look like if we are the church to be generous and to change the world around us? And so we're going to look at this idea. How do we use our time? How do we use our talents? Yes, how do we use our finances and the things that we have to impact and to show the love of Christ to those around us and to really live as the church? As I was thinking about this idea of generosity, I thought about a number of years ago, I think I may have shared this story with you before, but I went to Bible college and whenever I was in college, I was a part of a ministry group and we would go to downtown Dallas. And what was known as the West End, I don't even know if it's still there, but at that time, that was the happening place in Dallas. There were clubs, there were bars, the streets were always packed, restaurants with lines, you know, lining the streets. And so you could just take a few steps and enter into a conversation with someone. And so that's what we would do. A group of my friends, we would go down there every single Friday night, and we'd just try to have conversations with people. And there were a lot of bus stops. And so, you know, we'd find people sitting at a bus stop and just ask them about what was going on and if we could pray with them and just try to talk to them and find out about their lives. And I remember one night we were out there and I think we were talking to a young um, teenager that was getting ready to catch the bus home. And we were in a conversation and this guy who I found out his name was Stephen walks up. And when Stephen walks up, I can tell he is drunk, you guys like the way that he's walking, he is totally plastered. And I don't know how he knew, but immediately he says, hey, are you guys a bunch of Christians? And, and I was like, okay, I don't, we weren't wearing anything that made us look different. And so I said, yeah. And so he said, hey, well, I'm a Christian too. And if you love Jesus, you have to give me money. I'm really hungry. And you need to give me some money because you love Jesus. That's what you have to do. Now, I'm a poor college student, and I had no money to give Stephen. And so it was kind of interrupting the conversation that we have. And so I left that conversation, and I went and I started to talk to Stephen and just asked him about what was going on. It was so difficult to have a conversation because, once again, he was just plastered. And I'm trying to talk to him, and once again, he just he keeps on coming back to this idea, you need to give me money, I'm hungry, you need to give me money. And I'm like, Stephen, I have no money to give you. But in that moment, I thought, you know what? It's the middle of winter. All Stephen was wearing was a short-sleeved shirt and jeans that were ripped and shoes that were torn apart. And I had a nice winter jacket on, and I thought, man, I could give Stephen what I have on. And so I took him to the fast food restaurant that was right there on the corner. I put Stephen in one bathroom stall. I got in the other bathroom stall, and I said, hey, I'm going to give you everything that I have on, and I'm going to take your clothes. And slowly, I began to hand Stephen what I had on, and I asked for his shirt and his pants and his shoes, and I put those things on. And in the middle of that, he's kind of mumbling drunk the whole time. He just stops, and his, in the soberest voice, I heard him talk all that night. He said, I know Jesus is real because of what you're doing right now. I know the love of Christ is real. I'd love to tell you his life was changed in that moment. I don't know. Because right after that, he went back to just kind of a mumbling speech. And afterwards, I told him, Stephen, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I hope you find someplace warm. And I hope you understand the love of God. And then he went on his way. I don't ever know what happened to him. And although that's a picture of generosity, that's not why I'm telling you the story this morning. I'm telling you that story because that story has caused me problems for the past 20 years. Because I've never done that again, you guys. I've never been in another situation where I've given someone all the clothes that I've had on and I've taken their torn or their beat up clothes. But I often wonder if I should. Like I'm driving in Dallas and around this area, just like you do. And I see people with needs and I see people holding signs. And I often wonder, am I supposed to do that again? Like, how do I, how do I practice generosity? And I'm looking at my budget and I look at like what I have to give. And then I see all of these needs around me. And you guys, it's difficult. Practicing generosity, it's really hard in our lives. And it's hard to know how much of the needs around me do I meet? And God, what is it that you're asking me to do? And how often do I give someone else what I have? And how do we wrestle with this? And how do I know if I'm supposed to do that or not supposed to do that? And so generosity, it's a difficult thing to really live out because you and I, we can quickly become overwhelmed by needs. I mean, you turn on the TV and you see, people that are being devastated by wildfires and you see natural disasters that are happening around the world and you see political unrest and individuals that are living in refugee camps and there are all of these needs and everyone's asking, hey, send money, send money, make a difference and send money. And you don't even have to look around the world, you look right here in our own community. And as the holiday seasons come, you know of people, maybe in your workplace, maybe family members that have needs inside of their life. And if we're supposed to be the church and we're called to be generous, what do we do with that? What does Christ say that should look like in our life? How do we represent his love to the people around us? And so I want us this morning just to go to the scripture. And I want to look at how did the church, when it was very first starting off, how did they do this? And how do we balance like when we should give and when we shouldn't and what this should look like? And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts chapter 4. And this is where we're going to start at Acts 4, verse 32. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there is a blue Bible in the seat in front of you, and you can turn to page 532 in that Bible. And I want to encourage everyone, whether it's taking out your smartphone and Googling Acts 432 or opening up the scripture to follow along with this, because we want to see this story that God is giving us about how we change and impact the world around us and how we live as generous people. And once you have that hold on to that, in case you've never read the book of Acts before, Acts is a story of how the church first started, what it looked like for a group of believers just like this to begin to try to live out the love of Christ and to demonstrate God's love to people around them. And so this book starts as a story just a few weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it goes to a few decades where the church is now growing and it's going to other countries and it's in other cities and people are taking missions trips and they're starting churches in other places. And so the love of Christ is being spread. And so we see this picture of how the church first started. And this is where we pick up the conversation as the church is growing. In Acts chapter 432, it says this, now the full number, that means everyone, the full number of those who believed and were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And so I want to pause right there. I was reading through this passage, and we're about to read about these amazing acts of generosity that the early church is doing. As you read through these verses, and we're going to in a moment, you're going to see amazing acts of people giving in this kind of sacrificial way that they're meeting the needs of others. But it starts right here. And I kept on as I was thinking through this verse and where to start at, I thought, probably just skip this first phrase. And then I started to think, wait, that's in there for a reason. And there was an idea that the author was trying to get across. And the more I thought about that phrase, now the full number, everyone that said, hey, we believe in Jesus, we're in this thing together. They were of one heart and one soul. And the more I reflected on that verse, the more I thought, no, this is the foundation of everything that we're about to read. This is kind of the cornerstone of what we're about to understand about what the early church is doing is this idea right here, that the full number, everyone, that they're of one heart and one soul. And so what we're about to read in generosity is all started right here with this idea that it's unity in the church of Jesus that breeds generosity. It's unity, one heart and one soul in the church of Jesus Christ that actually breeds generosity. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means that everyone in the church, they felt connected to one another. And they may have not known everyone else's story or exactly everything that was going on, but there was a connection of, hey, we're in this thing together. You and I, we're connected with one another because you believe in Jesus, and God has done something amazing in your life, and you've experienced this forgiveness, and I've experienced that same thing, and so our hearts, in a way, we're connected with each other. We're in this thing together, but it wasn't only their heart. It wasn't only that belief. It was their soul, and so if you're feeling something, I'm feeling that too. And what's taking place in your life, this unity, this together, this connectedness, it mattered to everyone else in the room. It made an impact on other people's lives. They were saying, hey, we're in this thing together. And so what does that mean? That means as a church, we're united. And it's actually that unity that breeds generosity in our life. And so when we get up here on a Sunday morning and we show a video or we tell a story about someone else and how God has blessed them, or we share during the prayer time, hey, someone wrote down that, they would, that they'd get a new job and God blessed them with a new job or God blessed them with a raise, you get excited about that. You should as the church. You shouldn't be sitting there thinking, I know that person, they did not deserve a raise. Or God, why did you do that for that individual? I've been praying for a raise and I didn't get one. No, that's not. Our hearts are together in this. We're of one heart and one soul. And when it's good for someone else, it's good for us. And we're excited as the body of Christ. White unity breeds generosity. We're excited for one another. We're connected in this thing. Why is that so important? Because you can't meet a need that you don't know about. And if you and I, if we're disconnected from one another and you've got something going on in your life, and something's taking place, and no one else here in the body knows about it, it's very difficult for that need to be met. But when you start connecting with one another, when you start spending time with each other, when you make sure that this time together is more than just you sneaking in late and sneaking out early, but you actually have conversations with people, it changes things. See, it breeds generosity. It allows other people to see the needs in your life. It allows God to use you to meet the needs in other people's life as soon as you start talking with one another and you're connected with one another. This is the picture that we see the early church. Before we get into any way of how they lived generously and what that looked like and what it was that they gave, we start with this idea. They were connected with one another, one heart and one soul. They said, hey, we're in this thing together. And I want to know what's going on in your life. We're called to be a part of this together. This is the picture that God gives us of the early church. The illustration that he gives us is he says, hey, this is one body. This is like a physical body. You're connected. You need one another. You rely on one another. And so let me give you a picture of this. Why unity is so important, how needs are met. If I'm in my kitchen or you're in your kitchen and you're cooking dinner, right, for your family or for friends that are coming over, you're cutting vegetables, and all of a sudden, you're not paying attention, you cut your finger with a knife, a lot of things begin to happen, right? You may say some words that you don't typically say in church, okay, because it hurts really bad, and you're sitting there holding it, but things are happening on a subconscious level that you don't really have to think about. Blood is starting to flow to that area, and that's actually not a bad thing, because your body knows what it's doing. It starts to rush to that area of need and where that's at because it's gonna clot up that wound. That's what should be happening. And so blood is there, it's gonna dry over so that other things don't get in, so that things don't happen. Other cells are going there to fight off infections in case there was something on that knife or something that's on your skin so that it doesn't get inside of your bloodstream and cause problems in other areas. All of these things are happening. You're right now not thinking about all of the places That are touching your body. You're not thinking, oh, my pants are touching my legs right now. But as soon as you cut yourself, what immediately happens? If anything gets close to that, you feel it, don't you? There's a sensitivity there, right? Your nerves are working. Your mind is working to protect that area. Why? Because there is a need there. All of that happens because it's connected to the body. There's blood flowing. There's life going to that. There's protection. All of those things take place. Why? Because it's connected to the body, Now take that illustration in a different way. If your arm becomes severed from your body and for whatever reason you're carrying it around with you and now it gets cut, what happens with that cut? Nothing. There's no blood flowing to that because it's disconnected from your body. There's no sensitivity there to make sure that the pain is telling you, hey, you need to be careful. Why? Because it's disconnected from the body. And can I tell you, that's how many of you are living your lives in this room. You're disconnected from the body of Christ. And you're wondering, why are difficult times so hard? It's because the body doesn't know how to meet the need in your life because you're disconnected. And you're thinking, man, why is it so difficult? Why does it seem easy for other people? And it's so hard. It's because you're not connected with anyone else around you. Unity breeds generosity. Unity helps us to bring healing to the areas of our life that are hurting and the areas of our life that are broken. But if you're trying to do this thing by yourself, if you're calling yourself a part of this church, but really you're just an isolated individual sitting in this room, the body can't help you. See, it's unity that breeds generosity. That's why this writer starts with this verse. Everyone, the whole of the believers, they were united together. They're connected together in one heart and one soul because he knew generosity flows out of this idea of unity, that we're in this thing together. And if that's you, I would encourage you to start to get to know other people, to get involved in a group. It's not just a program. It's not just something we do so that you take, we take up another night of your week. It's we need one another. People need to know the needs in your life. And you need to know what's going on in others' lives because God may use what he wants to do inside of you to impact someone else. This is how we change the world is when we start uniting together as the church and we're connected to one another, you are not called to do this thing on your own. If you want to change the world, you have to be connected with other people around you. That's what Christ is calling us to. Not only does unity breed generosity, but also unity helps to make sure that we don't fall into a pity mindset, that we don't give and we don't practice generosity just because we feel bad for someone else. You guys, that's not the picture that we see in the early church, but yet that's how many people in our world live. And especially as we come to this holiday season, and you see someone out in front of a store, and they have on a red hat, and they're ringing a bell, and you maybe drop in a little bit of change because you feel bad, or you drop in a few dollars because you think, oh, I got to do something, and we think, okay, it'll make us feel better. But I started thinking better about what? And I think the dangerous thing is sometimes it makes us feel better than other people. And we think, oh, well, I'm not hurting. I I don't have as much of a need. And so I'll give to someone else. And in that simple act, if we're not careful, if our heart's not in the right place, if this is more about us than it is about the person receiving, we're actually devaluing that individual. And we're thinking, you know what? They're less than I am. They need a handout. And so I'm going to give something to them to try to make it better. But when we're talking about unity, when there's a connection, when there's relationship there, when I'm concerned about the other person and not just what I can give them, there's something different there. It changes my heart into generosity and not just me feeling guilty or not me just feeling bad about someone else, but I have a relationship. I want to have a conversation with that person. I want to know what's going on in their life and what's taking place. That's what unity does. And so many times as a church, can I just be honest, we get this wrong. And there are so many churches that give food at at the holiday season, and they they give really what it is, a handout. And kind of the idea is it's a transaction. I give you this. I feel better about myself. You have a little bit something extra because obviously you need that, and then you go on your way, and that's really the only connection that we have. And that's not the picture that we see the early church. They were united together with one heart, in one soul. True unity breeds generosity, not pity for someone else. And I was reading this book a number of years ago called When Helping Hurts, and it talked about this, how churches, sometimes we get this wrong. And it was this individual, and he said, you know what? Around our church, there were a number of housing projects, some of them low-income housing. And he said, I saw churches all the time doing that. Drop off a bag of groceries, Hey, I hope this helps you. We're from the church down the street. And then that's it. They leave. They never have another conversation with that person. And he said, I started to think, what if we live this out? What if we were united with people? What if we were connected and had relationship with the people around us? And so he said, when I went to the door, I didn't give them something. I asked something of them. He said, I knocked on the door and I began to talk to this, this family that he developed a relationship with. And he said, hey, what do you have that's a gift in this house? And they started saying, hey, we don't have a lot. Like, we don't have a lot of income, a lot of finances. And he said, no, that's not what I'm asking. What do you have that's like a gift, a passion of yours in this house? And he said, I had to prod them a little bit, but they started thinking. They said, hey, our grandmother makes really amazing food. And whenever she's cooking, everyone from the neighborhood comes around and they want to try what she's cooking and, and they, want to, they want the leftovers or they want her to make extra. And they're always talking about how delicious that is. She has to be the best cook, you know, that I've ever tasted the food from. And, and so they just begin to talk about that. And so this individual said, hey, I, I've helped other businesses. What if we sat down together and I developed a business plan for you? And I showed you how to use that gift. And I helped you use what you already have to, to generate income and, and to make an impact and, and to use that to bring hospitality and, and to impact other people. Would you be interested in that? And they said, yeah, we would. And over the next few months, he saw that family begin to change and develop as they saw, hey, wait, we have something to contribute to the world around us. That doesn't happen when you pity someone. That doesn't happen when you just give someone a handout and say, hey, you go on your way, I'm gonna go on my way. That only happens when we're connected with other people. When we're concerned enough to stop and to pause and to hear what's taking place in other people's life, that's how we practice true true generosity, church. That's how we live as the church that we see in the early book of Acts where they're living this thing out and they're walking because they're connected with one another and it's not pity, They're not devaluing another person, but they're actually bringing life and they're impacting the world around them. This is what Christ has called us to, to change the world around us, that we live in true generosity and that we live as Christ is challenging us to. And so each one of those believers were connected together, one heart and one soul. They knew the needs in each other's life and they were meeting those needs and they were impacting others. And so it goes on to say this, and no one said that any of the things that they had belonged to his own self, but they had everything in common together. So there's this unity that we see in the body of Christ. There's this true generosity. And as they get to that point, they're saying, hey, you know what? Even the things that I have, they're not really mine. We, we own these things together. There, there was this community that they had built around them And as I started to look at that, I I realized the early church, man, what we're seeing modeled in their life is they practiced generosity was an act that was selfless. Generosity is selfless. And it's this idea that that what we have, it's not really about our own things, but it's looking and meeting the needs of other people around us. That's what we see in the early church. That's That's what they're practicing. And you guys, this is so difficult in the time that we live in. Because everything around you 24-7 wants to tell you that you're lacking things. You need more stuff, you guys. There are so many things that that you're missing out on your life. And commercials and advertising are telling you everyone else is happy because they have these things and you're not happy. And if you just had them, you need to take care of yourself more. You need to get more things. And man, it's that struggle of driving down the street and my neighbor has a new car. And I think, man, I, I need a newer car. I need something like that. And once again, me, that's how our society and our culture has told us to focus in on ourselves. That's what they've told us to focus in on, you. It's all about you, myself. And that leads us into a very selfish mentality. And yet we see the early church and they're living in a selfless way. Hey, what I have, it's not even really mine. It's not even really mine. Hey, if you have something Or if you need something that I have, I'm willing to give that to you. That's how they begin to live their lives. And, church, that's why it's so important what we do every week as we give to God because it reminds us that everything that we have is God's. And so, I'm telling you, in the Eskamea household, whenever we get any income in, we sit down and we say, okay, God, the very first thing that we're going to do before we think about bills or groceries or what we could get, God, we're going to give. We're gonna to give to the church. We're gonna to give to other people and, and ministries around us, God. We're gonna ask how we can give because God, we realize that what we have, it's really not ours. And as we do that, as we practice giving God the first, it reminds us that whatever's left over, it's not even really ours to begin with anyway. It's God's. This all comes from him. And so how do we practice this? Well, it's what we're going to do this week. How do we develop that mindset that generosity, it's a selfless act, that being generous, it isn't about ourselves, it's about God. How do we do that? Well, what we're going to do this week, not talking about overeating or watching football games, but giving thanks. And hopefully some, at some point with family members or friends or maybe by yourself, you're going to pause and you're just going to say, thank you, God. Thank you for what I have, Lord. This is a day of practicing gratitude. I want you to stop and think what happens in that moment when you do that. When you wake up and you say, God, thank you for this house or thank you for this apartment. God, thank you for this home that you've given me. God, thank you for my car. May not be the newest one on the street, but God, thank you that I have a vehicle to drive. Lord, thank you for the food on my table. God, thank you for the money in my bank account. Each and every time you say thank you, you're acknowledging this doesn't have to do with me. God, you're the owner of all of these things. Do you get that, church? Thank you, God. Not thank me, not thank myself. No, thank you, Lord, because everything that I have, God, everything that, that I'm a steward of, everything that's in my possession, God, it's really yours To begin with, God, it's not mine. You're my provision. You're the one that takes care of me, God. You're the one that provides. And so I thank you, Lord. And I acknowledge that all of this is yours. When we practice that attitude of gratitude, when we give thanks in that way, it reminds us this isn't really ours to begin with. And it helps us to understand that generosity, it's selfless. It's not really about us. This is all God's to begin with. It also helps answer that first question that I propose to you at the beginning of this message, how much do I give? How often do I give? When do I give? Lord, there's so much needs. Do, do I bankrupt my bank account? Lord, Do I get? what do I do? Do I take all my closing? What do I do? <clears throat> I simply ask the owner. That's what I do, church. It's not mine, it's God's. So I ask the person that owns it, Lord, in this situation, this is your money. Do you want me to stop and give it to this person that's saying they have a need? Lord, I have this jacket on. That person doesn't. It. It's yours anyway, God. Do you want me to give it? Do you not want me to give it in this moment? Lord, is this really helping someone? Is this gonna hurt them in any way? It's not mine, God. It's all yours. And so before I do anything, I'm not gonna give out a pity. I'm not gonna give devaluing someone else, God. This is all yours, so you tell me how you want it used, Lord. See, when we do that, church, that attitude of thanking God and reminding ourselves, this really isn't ours anyway. It helps us to not feel guilty whether we gave or whether we didn't give. It's God's. He's directing what we do with it. And so we are a church that listens to his voice. And we say, God, in those moments that you're asking me to give, I'm I'm going to do that. In those moments where you're not telling me to give, God, I'm not gonna try to make myself feel guilty and do something, Lord. I'm gonna follow your lead. This is all yours Anyway, this is how the early church is living. The last thought I want to leave you with is generosity, it takes sacrifice. We see that in the early church. Generosity takes sacrifice. It ends this story right here by saying this. This is how the early church lived. They went with great power of the apostles who were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were the owners of land or houses, they sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what they sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as each one of them had need. What do we see the early church doing? Well, they're united with one another. They're of one heart, and they're of one soul. And so whenever there's a need, they realize none of this is mine anyway. And even if it seems like a big thing, I'm willing to sacrifice it. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to help meet that need. You guys, I don't even know how to explain this kind of generosity. The thought that, hey, I love the people that God has placed in my life so much that if I find out something's going on, I'm willing to do something about it in that way. Think about what that looked like to the community. You want to talk about changing the world when you're in the marketplace and you hear people talking, wait, that guy just went and sold his extra property and he paid that person's medical bill. That woman just took her gift and she cooked that food and she took it to that family that was sick and she sacrificed something. She she took and she sold something or, or that money that that family had been saving, they used it to pay that other family's um, doctor bill or debt or whatever. They began to give in that way. And now the power of the resurrection, the love of Christ is demonstrated for the world around them. That's what generosity looks like. That's how you change the world is when you're so connected with the people around you, you're willing to say, God, even if it looks like a great sacrifice, I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, Lord. This is the kind of church that you're calling us to be. Church, this is the kind of church that I think we need to be. Where we're not trying to do this thing on your own, where we're not trying to live this Christian walk just by ourselves, but where we know one another, where we know the stories that are going on in your lives. Can I I tell you, I love each and every one of you, and I pray for you guys. It's hard for me to keep up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this church. We need one another. It can't just be me knowing your story. There are other people in this body that need to know your story so that God can use you to meet needs, so that you can meet the needs of others that you're connected with and that you're surrounded by. That's the kind of church that we need to be. Unity breeds generosity. And when we're giving, we realize this is not about us. We're not giving out of pity. This is all God's anyway. We give out of a heart of generosity. And that's the kind of church that, Jesus is challenging us to be in.